there's, there's a kind of um, real sweetness just to be with you tonight, actually, I, I find. Um, it was um, aided by eating some very spicy food from over there just at the start. It's made me feel really on fire, you know. If you want to be on fire, I recommend having some of that afterwards. And oh, Is Oscar here? Oscar, you, you, you're a man. You can cook, aren't you? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Um, <coughs> I, want, I want to talk to you tonight about um, identity. I think it's a really crucial, crucial issue. Who, who we are. Do we know who we are? And um, identity is really, really important. I, I needed my identity yesterday because I went to the tip. And if you go to the tip in Bristol, you have to prove that you're a Bristol citizen. Have you ever been to the tip? Well, let me tell you, it's a great experience. It's, it's been completely refurbed. Actually, they, <laughs> they sacked the whole, um, <laughs> the whole workforce at the tip I go to because of corruption for some reason. So anyway, that's a, by the way. But um, I went there on Saturday and, uh, you know, you have to bring your driving license because if you're a citizen of Bristol, you can use the tip. If you're from Gloucester, from Taunton, Furtherfield, you can't. So I got to use a tip. I'm a citizen in Bristol. I'm a, I pay my, my council tax and all that stuff. Um, but I'm also a citizen of uh, the United Kingdom, formerly known as Great Britain. And I've got my passport tonight. This tells me some amazing things about who I am and, and who I've got backing me. You know, I've got her, well, it says in here, her Britannic Majesty, but in fact, it's his Britannic Majesty these days. Um, and I, I'm entitled to the protection of the United Kingdom when I travel. And uh, the United Kingdom and the, uh, the, the king and the government expects me to be treated well by other nations because I'm a citizen of this country. That's a big deal, isn't it? More than that, though, uh, I'm, um, I'm a dad and a granddad. I've got five kids. I've got four grandchildren, two on the way. It's exciting. Um, my, grand, my, my dad was a Cornishman. I'm very proud of my Cornish antecedents. But as a kid, again, I, I, I grew up all over the country. We kept moving every three or four years. I went to six different schools. And actually, to know who I was, where I was coming from, and where I was connected was really important. So for me, Cornwall, which was kind of like, that's where my grandma and my aunties and uncles were. And that was the kind of the... That's ultimately where I felt I came from, having moved around and lived all over the place. So... Um, but where, where do you come from? Who are you? And it's interesting in this kind of racial reconciliation Sunday when we think about race, because so much of the things that gave us a sense of identity um, in previous cultures have been shifted. There was a time when identity was quite fixed and static in many cultures, many communities. If you went back to medieval England, or uh, you know, you'd have you know who you are. You're a serf, or you're a kind of a you're a, a, a steward, or you're a a squire or a kind of, you know, a, a knight or something. You, you're part of the, you know where you are in society, you know where you're placed, and it's a bit static. And, and things have changed over the centuries, but right now, things have changed perhaps more than any other time in, in history for the human race. We're, we're very mobile. Uh, we're, we have mixed ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Many of us have got shared, you know, parents, grandparents from different cultures and communities. Maybe we're not near, living near our family of origin. Maybe... Um, yeah, we, we have all kinds of questions about who we are in a world where so much of identity stuff has been shaken. We, we may be um, just kind of questioning, where do I fit in this world? Because we need to belong. It's a human desire, and, and we can look for that belonging in all kinds of places. You know, we can, 
we we can find that sense of belonging from our we're looking for our tribe, our you know, our culture, our, our whatever it is. I think that for many of us, our family of origin is absolutely key to our human thriving and how we were parented. And I want to say, first of all, um, being a parent, we're never going to get it 100% right. You know, I, I, I hopefully I, I was a good enough parent. My, my son's a psychotherapist and talks about he could be a good enough parent. He's just become a parent himself. And I was asking my kids, you know, where, where did I come? It's about eight out of 10 as a, as a dad, which is, you know, I'll take eight out of 10, to be honest. It's okay, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't perfect. And, um, but the, the challenge actually is that children, I think, are born into the world wanting perfection from their parents. If you look at the way they behave as a newborn, they want to be the center of attention, don't they? They kind of almost expect unconditional love. Um, if you're, an, a, I don't know if you've been around a newborn. We had a little newborn, five-week-old baby here this morning, Charlie. Um, and um, basically, if he wants to feed, he will let you know. If he's uncomfortable, he will let you know. And he's not going to, he's not putting anything into rent at the moment. You know, he's not doing any of the housework. He's, he's, he's not doing anything to earn being totally nurtured. If he wakes up in the night, the rest of the family have got to wake up in the night. He's the centre of attention. And, you know, as a, as a little baby, we're, we're born into the world thinking, mm, yeah, I'm the centre of the universe. I should be looked after. I should have unconditional love and acceptance. And in a healthy family where there's good parental bonding and where there's not too many stresses and where, you know, the, the family's working well, it's amazing how... That works out. It's amazing how parents bond with their children in an ideal world and how they're able to offer some of that unconditional love and acceptance. I say that. I see my own kids in their parenting. and um, My son, Perrin, and his wife, Emily, they've got a, a, a little boy called Louis, just four and a half weeks old. And um, he's just turned their world upside down. You know, the flat was immaculate. It's now, there's mess everywhere. You know, they used to enjoy a good night's sleep. Now they, they, you know, they think four, night, four hours a night is good. They're excited about that. You know, you know, getting that baby up to its birth weight, that was a big drama, a lot of challenge. And, and they are just completely besotted with and seeking the well-being of that little boy. Now, if we don't get unconditional love and acceptance, what happens in life? If, if it seems to me past, as a pastor and having spent thousands of hours with people pastorally over the long run of pastoral ministry I've had, that if people don't feel loved and accepted, if they don't feel they've got a purpose in life that, and they're valued and esteemed, if they, if, they, if, they, if they haven't felt at a primal level that they've been loved, they can experience rage or despair. Or they can experience a kind of perfectionism means they've got to work really hard to earn this kind of stuff, or whatever it is. And when I think about my own uh, family of origin, you know, my, my mum and dad, they gave me that unconditional love. They were, they were besotted with me, to be honest. And um, they, they gave me a sense, as a, as a young person, I knew um, deep down that I was really loved and valued. And uh, it gave me a sense of, I'm okay, that helped me navigate going to six different schools, you know, um, or whatever, the, the different challenges that life brings along its way. Basically feeling I'm okay with me, I'm okay with the universe. You know. And as a, as a young person too, I found a faith in God and um, 
And I realized actually that when Jesus died on the cross um, and just carried away from me the things that I did feel shame and anxiety about, um, actually, I was okay with my father, that he loved me. And I've got this kind of baseline in life, which means basically, um, I feel pretty chilled about life <laughs> and, and about performance and a whole range of things. And I, I, I compare myself very much with the person I'm closest to in life, who's my wife. And for her, 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 her family of origin was different. She was, first of all, she was born in Africa, lived in Africa as a, as a young person, came out of the UK, um, and her mum died prematurely. Her mum died when, when Tina was just, um, just starting secondary school, had a brain hemorrhage. She said goodbye to her mum, never saw her again um, when she went off to school. And her dad, he wasn't a good enough dad. He was an absent dad. He was a workaholic dad. He wasn't great with little children. And he, he remarried someone with six kids. And the, the whole family culture got lost. And I, I, I kind of share so much with, with Tina as even now, after being married for a really long time, processing some of the impact of those early years, the impact of, of not having felt safe at home, having not felt unconditionally loved, having felt, oh, maybe I'm a bit of a nuisance in this new family setup. And how those kind of pathways, those mental pathways, could get really established. And I think for human thriving, we need to know who we are in the light of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what, um, what uh, an ideal family provides for a child is actually there because that's how God wants family to be. <laughs> Jesus talks about fathers. He says, you know, every father that takes his name, um, takes his name from the father of lights. And when Jesus tells parables, you know, he, he tells like a story about, you know, a, a good and a father who doesn't give his son a, a, a snake when he asks him for a fish. <laughs> That's good enough, you know. <laughs> I didn't give you a snake. Um, but he says, if, if you fathers who are evil know how to give gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him, or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And, and it's, Jesus is kind of saying, you know, great, we've experienced good parenting. It's a little picture of the best, of the perfect parenting, which is your Father in heaven. Now, the, the challenge for, for people before Jesus was, they had a view of God which was a bit remote. For the, for the Jewish people, their, their pictures of, of what God was like were taken from all the data around them, the data of the human emperors and kings that they came into contact with, or the data of creation itself, the stars, the plants, and the thunder, and the rain, and the snow. And, and of course, by the Spirit, there are all kinds of hints and whispers that God is more tender than that. And there are lots of pictures in the Old Testament of, of, of God as, a, as, a, as, as perhaps the husband of Israel, or as a, as, as a, as a, as a loving father. Uh, or a good shepherd. Some of those things are there, you know, but on the whole, it could be a little bit remote. And the way that people worship God was a little bit like that. You know, we've got a big flash temple to worship God in because God's remote and it's a bit scary encountering God. It's the Holy of Holies. That's where God is. And we've got to be careful going there. And we need sacrifices to help, help us get near to God. And when Jesus comes into the world, he really comes to show us the Father. And he brings a revolution in our relationship with God. In fact, he starts to call God a different name from the way God's been called. God was called Elohim or Adonai. It was kind of elevated names, kind of remote names, Lord. Or, but 
Jesus uses the, the, the name Abba, which is just the first word that a little baby born up in, in an Aramaic-speaking family, like Jesus' own family would use. It's a Abba, Abba, a bit like Daddy, Dada, Dada. It's a Babel word, but it's an intimate word for Father. And that's the word that Jesus told his disciples to pray with, and the, the, the phrase he used himself about his Father. And Jesus had that unconditional love and acceptance from his Father in heaven, and a sense of security and significance. The thing psychologists tells us people need, where's your security, where's your significance? If you've got it, you're going to be fine. Jesus had that, of course, and he had it all the way through. He had it at the start of his ministry, before he'd done anything at all to earn any favour at his baptism, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. I'm pleased with him. And for Jesus, his whole pathway of ministry was one where he knew the Father was for him. So there's a time when he's praying a kind of big prayer and Lazarus, his friend, has died and Jesus is going to call him back to life from the tomb and he prays his prayer, but he says, I'm only praying this out loud because people will know. <laughs> that you and I are one, Father, because I know you always hear me, but I'm saying this for their sake. <laughs> you know, that intimacy with, with the Father. People would try and deflect Jesus, trying to pull him off, off course. And he, would, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. People would try to intimidate Jesus, but you couldn't intimidate Jesus because he knew his Father was for him. He knew whose who's, who's, he was serving, whose life, uh, his life was in his hands, the hands of his Father. And, you know, Jesus wants to give his followers that kind of relationship with God. That each one of us can know the voice of God saying, you're my beloved child, I'm pleased with you. I have a purpose for your life. And, and the work of the Holy Spirit, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us know that. You know, Jesus once said to his followers, I'm not going to leave you as orphans without a father. <laughs> and when the disciples, just this is all in, in the end of John's Gospel, actually, when Jesus says that. And, and in John's Gospel, Philip, one of his disciples, saying, well, Jesus, just show us the father. And, and um, Jesus says to Philip, haven't I been with you for these three years? If you see me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. You see, when Jesus comes to the world, we no longer have just this kind of the invisible God revealed through creation or through symbols of imperial power. We see God now in the face of a human being, in the face of Jesus Christ. We see what compassion and love and mercy looks like. We see what tenderness looks like as we see Jesus taking children in his arms and blessing them, or Jesus feeding the hungry and having compassion on the crowds who sees them like sheep without a shepherd. And from now on, we can know the Father because Jesus has made the Father known to us. Jesus... Um, has, has told us that we too could call God Abba. And now we worship, this is the favourite phrase of the Apostle Paul, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our God. So here's Romans chapter 12, just some verses. They're probably going to come up on the screen. but um, Not Romans 12, Romans 8, sorry. They're going to come up in my Bible any time now. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption 
to sonship. And by, we, by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order we may also share in his glory. One of the things that I know that God wants for everybody in this room is that we have a relationship with God like that. And I think that um, the gift of the Spirit in your heart is that you might know that family likeness. You might know you're a child of God. Wherever you've come from, whatever your family of origin, however good or bad your own childhood was or your formative years, that you can know that you're secure because the Father loves you. And that, that can happen to the most broken people. One of the people I, I, I spend a lot of time with, I, I met him first as a glue-sniffing teenager being through the care system. And um, he, he had had a really awful childhood. He was put into care as a four-year-old. Um, his mother had kind of broken some of his limbs and his dad was an absent father and, and he, he just grew up through the care system and like most people who grew up through the care system or like many people, the stats are not good leaving care. And um, so I, I, I met him as a, as a, as a troubled teenager. Um, but he came to faith in, 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 in Jesus. And he's one of the people that um, perhaps had the greatest sense of the father <laughs> that I've known. And though uh, his life wasn't always um, on the rails, by any means. Um, nevertheless, he did some extraordinary things for God. He, he worked for the Missing Peace, as it was called, the crisis end about then. He went off with Wirewam and went to, as a missionary to Latin America. And as, he also did a lot of drugs and did a lot of self-harming and made a mess of things in his life. But he could keep coming back to Father, like the prodigal son came back to Father, knowing that actually... The Father's mercy is there for me. And I had an, inst an instinct for Father, which is a really powerful thing. And uh, I hope that you already know that. But if you don't know that, that the Father's for you, that he delights in you, that you don't have to earn his love, rather he wants to reveal himself to you more and reveal who you are because you, you've now got his image in you. You were made in his image. He wants to call it out. Uh, that if you don't know that, I, I'd love, love you to go on a journey of finding that. You know, at Woody's tomorrow, on Tuesday night, I know you've got, you've got a prayer and worship evening, actually, for Metro, which is going to be great. But we are starting a wholeness course at Woody's Central up, at, up the hill. And um, we just do that once a year, six weeks, where we look at who we are in Jesus, our identity as children of God. And work through some of the kind of wounds of life that may have made it hard for us to really believe that God's for us, have, have, have maybe given us some, some pathways of thinking that have meant, am I really accepted? Do I really belong? Am I really accepted by God? And I, again, I, I don't know what you need to do, but even tonight, if what I'm saying rings a bell with you, then it'd be great to pray and pray that you'd know the Father's love. I think... For us, though, is knowing who we are. It's not just our one-on-one -on -one relationship with God that counts for our identity, though that's so important. 
but also our identity as a community, as a people of God. And I'm just going to read to you my other Bible reading, which is from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter writes this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The kingdom community is, is where we work out what that identity looks like. If we're children of God, we're born into a family. If we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then we're part of a community that is a kingdom community. And we're able to kind of work out the implications of what it means to be a child of God and to live it out with others. And that's, that's how human beings grow and thrive, isn't it? Living out in community what's in them. And I, I have this real heart for Metro as a community of the kingdom. You know, you're part of the worldwide church of God. The church that Jesus had in mind when he called 12 people to follow him, who represented the community. They're like a new Israel, made up of 12 people, just like Israel had 12 tribes. Here's 12 apostles. It's Jesus saying something profound there about what's happening. Here's a new Israel. Here's a new community. This is where the kingdom of God is going to be worked out because a, a kingdom has got to have people in it. And what's more, this kingdom that's being worked out is no longer just a national kingdom where if you're born of that kingdom, you have that religion or that identity. This is something that's going to be inclusive of every tribe, tongue and nation. We were seeing it in our worship about the, the nations gathered around the throne. Every tribe, tongue, nation is how history ends. It's kind of like this extraordinary God's people coming together in all their diversity, but knowing a profound unity, knowing we are the people of God. He loves us. He's for us. We have one father. And, um, you know, in a world where so many nations, your national identity and your religious identity are tied up. And, you know, if, if you live in India, if you're going to be thriving in India these days, it's harder and harder if you're not a Hindu, isn't it? Because the, the BJP, BJP party is looking to see India for the Hindus. Or if you grew up in a Muslim country, it may well be that actually if you converted to another religion or didn't have a religion, you're a traitor to your country not just your faith. Uh, and even in, in, in Europe, you know, Christendom was quite like that, wasn't it? It's kind of you're born into Western Europe or into America, therefore you're a Christian. And even it's still being worked out a bit today in America. You know, are you, if you're really American, American values and Christian values getting a bit muddled out a little bit. But we are called to be the kingdom of God, which is not based on national boundaries. Jesus once said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would fight. But we're not that kind of kingdom. We're a kingdom that welcomes everybody. And the Jewish people who received the, 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 the revelation of God in the Old Testament were there to be a light for everyone so that we could all belong. And one of the big challenges for the New Testament is how do the Gentiles, the non-Jews, find their place in the family of God? And so inclusion is a really big issue for the New Testament. We think inclusion is a 21st century issue. 
we think, how do you include people? How, how do you understand purity laws and all that sort of stuff? That's, the New Testament is really battling with those things. How, what does it look like to be a, a multiracial church? Last Saturday, I was at a, a conference called Reconciled Church. It was a conference really that came out of a movement that started with the death of George Floyd, where there was a recognition that there's too much segregation between black and white, particularly in the church. And uh, we, we've had a history in this country and in the States and elsewhere where we were very segregated on Sunday. We have black-led churches and white-led churches and where so many of the, um, that wave of Commonwealth citizens coming to Britain in the 50s and 60s didn't get the welcome from the church that they expected. And when they did come, they found the church a bit cold, actually. There wasn't much dancing. <laughs> but, you know, the scene was a bit, you know, but there wasn't that welcome. And so they formed their own church groups and we, we have that legacy of segregation and and God doesn't want that for his people he wants that radical inclusion he wants us to know that our identities because we're his children we see his family likeness in one another even though culturally we're very different so you're part of that worldwide family but you're also part of the family of Woodlands uh, and we call ourselves the Woodlands Church family because we want to feel there's a sense of identity that comes from some shared values a sense, sense of shared history a sense of shared call and that really is important knowing where you've come from in your spiritual dna again the jewish people have survived for so long um, as the dispersed people because they've known where they've come from and the new testament is full of things like genealogies this was so and so's ancestor you know why is it all there so we know where we've come from and, and we, we've got these kind of things that we do we celebrate the passover we know where we've come from it's in our story but actually, we've got a story as a church family, and you're really part of that story. And so, so when Metro started nine years ago, it was coming out of a church that said, we want to reach the whole of Bristol for the good news of, uh, of Jesus and to invite people who don't yet belong to find a place in his family. And we particularly want to invite those people who are estranged from church, people in their 20s and 30s, people who are students who are not finding their place in the church family. And we know some of the statistics. You know that Bristol is perhaps one of the least Christian cities in the UK. The, the census in 2021 said only 31% of people in Bristol would say that they are Christian, which is the lowest of any of the census results from 2021. And um, we're here to say we don't want people in our city not to know that there's a God in heaven who's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who wants them to thrive, who wants them to belong, to find a place in his family. And, and we want to see this, this church as part of that expression of the love of God, loving the city, and, and be able to do that in a way that's really relevant to the people represented here tonight. That's part of your calling. That's, that's, that's part of how you fit within the Woodland Church family. That's part of the unique calling. You've not been called to see Mills like the Highgrove Church or to Southfield like Community Church. This is what you've been called to be and to do. So um, I want to bless that calling. But how are you going to live that out, that, uh, your, your identity as, as um, citizens of the kingdom of God? here in this church family. And all of us in church have to be really careful that we don't let the world invade us, but we invade the world. And one of the little actions that I live by is I want to be an inside-out person instead of an outside-in person. And what I mean by that is I want to live from a deep place of my relationship with God and knowing who I am rather than 
take my sense of identity from all the influences that have come through my senses. Now, we live in, in a world where there are people called influences. I, I didn't grow up with that kind of world. The, the, there was no social media when I was um, a kid, you know, and there weren't influences who's, who were actually trying to shape my life and my culture. But the reality is that for many people today, our life and our culture is being shaped all the time by images, by lifestyle suggestions, by, um, by all kinds of messaging that's going to have a big impact on what we believe about ourselves. And, and it's, a, it's a commonly held idea, isn't it, that the mental health of people in 2024, particularly young people in 2024, is shaped by those messages that are coming from the external. And we evaluate ourselves, we make comparisons with how we shape alongside other people. It's a really big identity issue. And in, in Jesus' time, um, people wanted to have an identity, identity too that was very public. Jesus talked about the people who were kind of, you know, pray long prayers in public, kind of said that they'd kind of be an influencer. <laughs> they'd wear special religious garments with lots of long tassels, so they'd be an influencer. Uh, and Jesus contrasted it all with that with the people who went into a secret place, Matthew 6, secret history with God, and find there they find the Father. And they pray and they give the poor in secret rather than to make a splash and to make a big noise. But if you've got that relationship with the Father, you're a child of God that I described in the, in the first place. If you know that you're not an orphan, but you're a son or a daughter. If you know that God is for you and if God's for you, who could be against you? It's hard for you to be influenced by the influences. But it is easy for you to be an influence and with one another. To be people who can see that cultural change. Over church history, there have been times when the world has invaded the church rather than the church invade the world. You know, Jesus commissioned his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey me. And for the first 300 years of the church, you know, the, the, the church went all over the world. They suffered persecution, they suffered trouble and hardship, they suffered marginalisation and poverty because they were identifying with King Jesus rather than the emperor. They were identifying with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ rather than the pagan gods of the places where they worshipped. And they were viewed as strange and weird. And <laughs> but they changed the world. So much so that when Constantine became emperor, he, started, he, he, he made uh, a pathway so that Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And instead of, there are no soldiers in the army because we don't kill. Now you could only be in the army unless you were Christian. You know, and, and power became, instead of the upside down kingdom of Jesus where the, the, you know, the greatest among you is like a servant, suddenly power comes in the hands of the bishops and the leaders of the church and wealth comes their way too and, and there's a subtle change. But God's always wanted to call us to be citizens of his upside down kingdom. And so the way his kingdom works is that we powerfully, deeply and radically love and serve one another. That we're not building empires, but we're giving power away. That we're not just loving people like us, but we're loving the people who are excluded and saying, you come in. And the parables of the kingdom are all like that. The ones that Jesus tells. He talks about these people who, who were invited and said no. So go out in the streets, go out to the poor, go out to the, the people who are normally excluded. Invite them to come in. And as citizens of the kingdom... We're not to take our identity from the culture of this world. We want to speak to it. We want to be aware of. We want to be relevant 
We want to understand the pain of our world or the needs of our world or the longings and aspirations of our world. But we want to offer, out of our understanding, a better story, a better alternative, a better community to be part of. And that, that's, that's a big, that's, that's something you could give your life for, isn't it? I think what I've given my life for. I want to be uh, somebody who is a friend of the bridegroom, who um, serves God by serving a church that will serve the world. And if you know you're a child of God and you're committed to him, then you know you've got a place in that. You're not an alien, you're not an orphan. Now, the challenge for us all is that if we are really going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and become part of his kingdom, as um, Peter writes, we, we suddenly become strangers in the world. We used to be part of all that stuff, and now we've not. And, and there may be some hard things that you have to do sometimes, decisions you have to make. Um, guy in my house, who I live with, um, I live in community. In fact, I live with six different nationalities, and our age range is from 21 to 65. And I love that because it feels like church every day. You know, we have people from an African heritage or from a European heritage or a South, Afri South American heritage in our house. We eat weird food. We had a very strange lunch today, actually. <laughs> but um, it's great. But um, one of my housemates, um, he just got a job. Um, he, he'd done um, business studies at Bristol uh, Uni and um, did some work in the finance sector in, in, in this city and then got a job in London, Canary Wharf. And he was there just early days starting this job, quite a dream job. And he had a dream. And in that dream, um, he felt God say, you know, there's going to be something immoral going on. In, in the place where you work, I want you to leave. <laughs> so that's, that's quite a straight, straight dream, isn't it? So um, he kind of tried to put it out of his mind because it was like a dream job. And he went into work the next day and he heard some of his senior colleagues discover, discussing, really, in effect, some mis-selling, some mis-selling of some products to their customers without really explaining the risks to them. And so he just went to his boss and said, look, I think I need to leave. I just don't feel comfortable working in this environment. It would be so easy to stay, but for him as a citizen of the kingdom and having God spoken to him, he thought, actually, I'm going to have to do something hard and I have to give up my, my dream job. So um, it's not all straightforward being a citizen of the kingdom, isn't it? There may, there may be some sacrifices that come your way, but there's a joy in it and a freedom in it and a blessing in it. How am I doing, Philip? Have I done my half an hour? Sorry. I've, I've, I kind of, you know, Philip is a proper preacher, isn't he? He knows where he's going. I'm, I'm just kind of standing up here and I'm whittering a little bit. I'm in conversation with you. But um, I hope there's some takeaways for you. So my takeaways for you are these. Takeaway number one, God doesn't want you to be an orphan in, his, in the world. He doesn't, he's not left you as an orphan. Uh, he wants you to know that you're fully loved and accepted. You don't have to work really hard to earn God's favour. He already has. Uh, he's already given it to you, but he wants you to live in the good of it. And if there are some, if that's not a done deal in your life, then that's something that's your birthright and the Holy Spirit is given to you to help you know that you're a child of God. It will be transformative on the inside. That voice, Abba, Father. Second takeaway is, I would love you to feel that you're living inside out lives, not outside in lives. And, and where you, you can go around your place of work and you can be taking all your messages from the office, where you can find it hard to relate well to power because Christians are good at relating to the poor. You know, we can, we can be merciful and generous, but we find it hard to relate to power. We can be intimidated by it. Anyone here intimidated by power and wealth? 
You know, God doesn't want you to be intimidated by those things. Those people who found Jesus were not intimidated anymore. They were not cowed by the presence of authority. You look at St. Paul, there he is in front of King Agrippa. King Agrippa, I wish you were like me, apart from the chains, because he's in chains at the time. You know, he's got, he's just like, and, and the disciples were like that. They had a boldness because they knew who they were. They knew whose kingdom they're part of. We're not to be intimidated by power, but to be able to speak truth to power as God's people. I love power as well. Love those people and, and befriend them and, and say, you too have got a place. It's not just for the poor, it's for the rich. You've all got a place in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. So I want you to live those inside out lives, knowing who you are, because you're children of God, and knowing that you're a community that is going to look as much like heaven as possible. Citizens of the kingdom. If people want to know what heaven's like, what it will be like in heaven, have a look at Metro. Look at the way they love one another. Look at the way they serve one another. Look at the way they do power differently. Look at the way they honour the, the, the weak and the vulnerable. They even let Dave Mitchell come to speak, even though he's 65 and a bit senile. They do. They let him come because they're kind and merciful. So that's what I'm going to leave you with. But I'd love, I'd love to, to pray it really for you. And um, again, I don't know if, if, you're, if you're watching online and you've stayed thus far. If, if you feel, first of all, that that message about being a child of God is one that still needs to work on. I wonder whether you just, just put your hands out as a non-verbal prayer to God. It's a kind of, I'm opening my life up. I'm opening my body up. I'm presenting myself undefended because little children don't defend themselves. They go to their mum and dad and they cry out if they know they're loved. And, and if, if, if you need more of that, maybe just make that, that non-verbal prayer. And I'm going to pray that for you. Father God, we are children of the King. God is our Father, and he has adopted us into his family. We're loved and known and chosen. And Lord God, we, we recognise that there are things that have happened to us in our lives, and things that pathways we've been on, or, or things that have happened to us early, early on in our family life, which have really hurt that. And it's hard sometimes to really know and believe that we're fully loved and accepted to you. And I want to pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would be warmly in our hearts now, conveying to us in that deep place, at gut level, that we are children of God. And that we'd hear that whisper of the Father's voice saying, I'm for you, I love you. You have a place in my family, you have a purpose for your life in my kingdom. And I want to pray to you, Lord God, for this community, that you would teach this body, this church, how to live as children of the kingdom, how to live as a community that loves you and follows you and models your kingdom ways as you lead by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we want to give you the church. Jesus, you're the head of the church. This belongs to you. You're the king. We're just your subjects. But we thank you that you, you, you lift us up. You say, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And as friends of God, Lord, help us to serve you. I want to pray, Lord God, for the power of your spirit to be on this church. I want to pray, Lord God, as, uh, as the, the church kind of models something around like, like love running. I want to pray that there would be something really powerful in that whole um, enterprise, God, that speaks of, of the tenderness and mercy of God and the way that God's people are. 
as we do that together invisibly in our city. And I want to pray, Lord God, that we'd find our place within the whole family of God in this city, particularly with the Woodland Church family. And, and I want to pray, Lord, that um, the men and women here would know that they're prayed for, loved and valued, not just by you, God, but by a big family too. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.